Welcome to the Driving Your Marketing Podcast, where small business entrepreneurs come to discover the strategies, systems, and tools to kick their marketing into high gear. If you want to go from surviving small business owner to thriving entrepreneur, you're in the right place. Let's get ready to roll. All right, welcome everybody. This is Eli Delaney with Your Marketing University and the Driving Your Marketing Podcast where I bring in fun, cool people that I meet from all over the world to talk about marketing stuff. And the whole reason for that is because as a marketing guy, I'm out there, I'm speaking all the time, and I see people that come up to me like, I don't like marketing, it's scary, it's complicated, and I've even had people call it black magic and voodoo before. So I decided to do this show with the whole concept of showing you actionable, easy things you can do in your marketing to get you out there, get you in front of more people, obviously make more money, but make a bigger impact in the world. And today's guest is Sarah Barber. She is a book coach and editor who's helped entrepreneurs write polished professional books in support of their businesses. She has worked with a variety of authors, including best-selling fiction writers, business people, and creatives. And Sarah, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Eli. Well, and see, you and I met at WDS this year, and it was pretty cool because that was like our starting point. We met at the before party, ended up talking about Udemy, which then you came to our Udemy group, and we've had a couple of chats and, and definitely had some cool stuff to share, right? Yes, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. So tell us a little bit I've more. I've already learned a lot from you. I'm sure I'll learn a lot more. Oh, good. Well, I appreciate that because I always love doing that. That's the whole point of what I do. Um, now, share a little bit more of your story. Of, you know, you're a book coach. You're an editor. How did you get started in this side of the world? Okay. Well, I've had um, a very checkered career. I've done a lot of different strange things. Um, I got started in editing when I was living in Japan. Uh, I worked, uh, I volunteered running a small newsletter for foreign residents in the area where I lived and I collated materials from different people and, and, you know, tried to make it all work together. And then at one point I was living in Yokohama and I got a job working as a copy editor for, uh, Japanese papers that were written by Japanese scientists in English or with the, the intention of publishing them in English language journals. So it was a horrible job because it was really stressful. We had crazy deadlines, and I didn't understand any of the science that was involved. But, oh, and my boss was a monster. I worked with a horrible guy. Um, but We've all had those. A lot about, yeah, I know. <laughs> um, I learned a lot about editing and, and uh, copy editing and proofreading, and I found that I actually really enjoyed doing that. And then um, I got, uh, later on, I worked at the University of Illinois running a small library. And again, I was uh, doing a newsletter of, in this case, uh, reviews about documentary materials that people that professors were using and writing. And so I was still editing for them. And then I decided to stay home with my kids for a while. We moved to a different part of the country. And I started freelancing as an editor and picked up some work with uh, a variety of interesting people. I started doing that just around 2011, 2012, when self-publishing was really taking off. And since then, I've been able to work with all sorts of different types of authors. And I have worked with, I've started working now with, with entrepreneurs, with business people who want to put books out in support of their businesses. And my job is to help streamline that process for them and help them with whatever hurdles they're facing, whether it's on the editorial side, uh, helping them figure out how to, what to write about, how to structure their books, or whether it's on the motivation side, keeping them accountable and making sure that the work gets done, or whether it's on the actual publishing side, walking them through the self-publishing process, because I'm, I'm a huge fan of self-publishing. It's not always the right step for everybody, but it's the right step for almost all of the business people out there. It's flexible and it's fast and it's efficient and it's it's a, a really good way for most people to go right and i think it's awesome because you know self self-publishing like we've got our two books have both been self-published the one cindy and i wrote and then the one my second one follow-up which mm-hmm. first one was uh, marketing tidbits second one's networking tidbits and that one we actually just got the final pieces for the physical version done so it's on, on amazon and in how or and physical version as well and that's been a lot of fun. And the cool thing, though, is that it's been self-published. You know, we use CreateSpace, which is Amazon's self-publishing mm-hmm. platform. And it was so great because we did everything ourselves. That we, had, we had all complete control over it. And that makes a world yeah. of difference because I know some authors that literally have had great books ready to go. 
and they've ended up having a traditional publisher, which there's there's purposes where that can come in handy, but then they're waiting a year, year and a half to actually get their book to hit the shelves. And that's the part that kind of freaks right. me out, especially if you're in a kind of a how-to industry like the marketing world and things like that. Things move so fast that in a year and a half, a lot of that kind of stuff could literally be outdated. Exactly. And, and it becomes much harder to um, make any changes. So if you want to update your book, uh, it's very difficult to do that with a traditional publisher until they decide it's time to put out a new edition. you got to wait for them to make that decision. But if you're doing it yourself, you can make those changes yourself anytime you feel like it. Right, definitely. So, yeah. you know, we, we both know that a book is a really powerful tool to, to grow your business. But reality is most of us are not going to create a book sell, a bestseller where our book is our entire income. What do you think about, you know, what are the different things as to, you know, why should I have a book? Well, it depends what you need for your business. And you're, you're right. Most people are not going to make thousands or, or hundreds of thousands of dollars just writing. I do, I have worked with a couple of professional authors who, you know, that's their life is, is writing books and they're, they're putting out uh, 10 to 12 books a year and they're making wow. very, very nice livings, but that's, that's their job. They are professional writers. They're not mm-hmm. doing anything else. Um, and, and that's hard to do. You know, they, they, there's a, a combination of luck and skill that goes into that. Um, so obviously you do want to get your book into the hands of as many people as possible, but you want to make sure they're the right people. And some people use their books to build their email list. Um, and if you do that, you want to make sure that you, you know, like I said, your book is going into the, getting into the hands of the people you want on your email list. You don't want to just be indiscriminately getting anybody on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are ways you can use your book to draw people into your, your, your email funnel. It's not just, you don't want to just slap a, a link at the end of the book saying, sign up for my email list. But you can use the book throughout. Say, you know, if you want to see the entire interview that I quoted from, you know, go to my website and you can download the entire interview. Uh, or you can take a quiz or you can um, read, you know, get a, a reading list, for example. So th- th- there are ways you can build into the book throughout the book to bring people back to your website and to make them want to sign up for your list. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to stop you for a second there because that's really important. You just said something okay. very, very cool. Now, I've got like both of my books at the beginning have a a freebie on there. So the first one we have, um, you know, you can get the audio version of the book for free by going to our website, a hidden page. And then the other one is for my awesome. networking follow-up blueprint. But you just took it to the next piece, which is kind of cool, of interjecting in the middle of the book a spot where – you know, hey, I talk about this quote with this person, and if you want to hear the whole interview, go here. I think that alone is, especially if you're trying to build your own um, credibility and authority using your book, I think that's brilliant because that gets them to, number one, go back to your website, which is another tool, obviously. Second thing is sign up for your list to get the interview, but the third one is then, if it maybe is an interview of you, then that establishes your credibility even further. And so it's like, that's like the, the triple crown right there. You know, I think that's a, right. <laughs> yeah, it's a great little trick. And that's something I honestly have not done before. So I think that that's something I'm definitely going to be using. And for anybody listening in, that's a beautiful way to take things to the next level and get that better interaction beyond just having the book. Yeah, yeah. And it, and I've seen, I've seen some very successful authors do that and do it very nicely. And yeah, and it doesn't have to be an interview. There can be all kinds of, of valuable things that you can give people uh, that, like you say, will not only provide extra value to them, but will help build your credibility and your authority and your field. And um, so there's yeah, you know, there's a lot lot that you can do with that. Um, and uh, another thing that people have found books useful for is in terms of getting speaking engagements. If if you want to um, go out and speak at conferences and workshops, a book can be a very nice introduction to yourself. Uh, and of course, if you're writing a book, you have to take your audience into consideration. So if you're writing a book with the intention of getting into the, the speaking engagement world, you want to be writing a book for the people who are making the decisions about who's speaking and for their audiences. So you mm-hmm. want to keep that in mind. You might be writing for a slightly different audience than if you were building your own email list. 
Uh, and you know, there's probably going to be some overlap always. Yeah. But you do want to take that in, into consideration, and you want to be thinking in terms of writing stories. So you don't want to just be uh, like like your your books on the the networking and marketing tidbits. Great, and they're probably really good for building an email list. But if you wanted to get into the speaking gig, you want to be more about telling narratives. You know, the, the beginning and the middle and the conclusion stories that are going to work well on stage, um, and maybe more research and uh, statistics and, and things that are going to just present well in a personal setting mm-hmm. so that people who are making the decisions about speakers can say, oh, okay, this guy, this guy will be great on stage. Right. He's, got, he's got a story to tell. Right. Um, well, and let me, let me stop you for a second there because that is awesome. And you talk about getting speaking gigs, and the funny thing is that you know, all of us, everybody listening in, you're in business. You're you're trying to grow your business one way or another. And when we're talking about speaking gigs, uh, speaking is my favorite way to grow my business. It's how I grow my my platform. I, I get more people to know who I am. That's what gets me in, in front of more people to sign up for my list and, of course, you know, buy my products and services. But here's the funny thing about it is a lot of times people don't think of themselves as speakers. And you don't have to be a professional speaker mm-hmm to get speaking gigs. So speaking gigs could be for a local chamber of commerce or local leads group or a local association, or mm-hmm. they could be for, you know, a big conference with 5,000 people. You know, it's like you can go anywhere in between any one of those. But here's the fun thing is by having a book, it's going to open up a ton of doors just from that alone. I had, you know, this, this mm-hmm. story I think I've shared with you before was that I had somebody I was trying to get in the door with when we first moved up, up to the Portland area. And I wanted to try to do seminars with them, workshops. And I, they blew me off. Like almost immediately, they blew me off and wouldn't even talk to me. Like, oh yeah, well, we, we already do that kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. it was really kind of rude actually. But then I was at an event and when we launched the first book, I had the, you know, I had, I had the proof copy. I didn't even have the actual copies I could sell yet. I had my proof copy and I was shared, Hey, we just got our book. It's on Amazon and we're getting the physical copy shipped to us right now. We're so excited about this. And all of a sudden the same guy who blew me off before comes back and says, Hey, let me see that. And he flips through the book a little bit. He's like, you know what? We really (laughs) do. We need to do a workshop together. And it was just so funny how (laughs) all of a sudden it just turned everything around and it was all because I had a book. I mean, it's not like he even had time to yeah. read it to see if and, it was any good. You know? Yeah. And that, that brings, um, brings up the question of, of, of having a hard copy book as well, mm-hmm. which is a really powerful tool. And it's very easy and not expensive to get hard copy books now through CreateSpace, which you mentioned earlier. Um, it's not, you know, it's, it's a few extra steps in the self-publishing process, but it's not really that difficult. And it's a really nice tool to have because it's something you can physically put in someone's hands. If you want to make a real impression on somebody, wrap it up nicely, mail it to them with a nice handwritten note, and just say, hey, I thought you might enjoy this book. Um, Mm -hmm. It's, you know, it's on the topics that you're interested in, and maybe you'll get something out of it. And that makes a much bigger impression than a download. I mean, downloads are great, and, and you can reach a lot of people with them. But having that hard copy, especially if you're in a, if you're at a conference and you can just hold it in your hand and let someone look through it, it's uh, a really good tool to have. Yeah. Well, and that's the cool thing too, is that, that that's a really big point that hard copies do make a difference because we are in such a digital world and, and everybody's trying to, you know, simplify and minimalize their, their world. So like, okay, I'm just going to buy stuff on, on Kindle. But what ends up happening is that mm-hmm. if you have the physical book, that stands out. It's something. It's got that thud factor. You know, in the marketing world, we used to call things the thud factor. Is the bigger the box and the bigger the thud that it made when it hits your doorstep, the more of an impact it would make. Uh-huh. And we end up having that even with a simple book that doesn't even have to be a big book. Doesn't have to be you know three hundred pages. It can be a hundred pages. But just having that physical thing makes a difference. And the cool thing is a lot of times, and I heard this from Larry Winget. He's one of. He's a friend of mine. He's a great great, great presenter. Um, he's like a six time New York times bestselling author as well. So he's, you know, he's been around the block a bit for when it comes to being a book author. And he says, your book is a souvenir. It's like your Mickey Mouse ears at Disneyland. Even if they don't read it, they still uh-huh. want it because it's, uh, it's taking home a piece of you. And that makes a yeah. big difference because you don't get that same feeling 
from being just, you know, sending somebody a digital book or them buying a Kindle book. You know, it's great to have those, mm-hmm. but definitely having both versions makes a world of difference. Yeah. Yeah, it really, and it's like I said, it's so easy and inexpensive to get a hard copy version. Um, yeah, in, in the old days, you used to, if you're going to do that, if you're self-publishing, you had to buy a, you know, a minimum of a thousand copies and it, you, know, you end up with all these copies of your, of your book getting, getting dusty in your garage. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but now you can, you know, you can get one at a time. You can get a hundred at a time. It's, there's no difference in cost per, per unit. It's very straightforward. Mm-hmm. No, definitely. And I love that. It's like, you know, when we got this most recent set of our books, we had just gotten the hard copy finished up and because we had some issues with the graphics on it, we got it squared away. But I was actually doing a seminar in Boise and I didn't have time to have them shipped to me so I could take them with me. So I had a small batch shipped directly to Boise and it was great because I Mm -hmm. got 20 books. You know, it was like I had more coming here, but I had 20 books that I could just get there in time for the seminar because it was going to be a small group and I knew it wasn't going to be, I didn't need that many, but I could get them shipped. They were there plenty of time. And I mean, I spent more on shipping than I did on the actual physical books themselves. You know, if that tells you anything on, on the <laughs> yeah, idea of how cheap yeah. they can really be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're, they're not expensive and it's, uh, they're, I think they're worth their weight in gold really for yeah. making that kind of connection with people. Right. Very cool. So let's say, you know, somebody's just starting out. They know that they need to, they, they know that they need to get a book. They see the value in it. Let's, let's talk about figuring out how do you get started with that? Because so many of us, especially, you know, I, I tend to, I've been around, you know, long enough that I, I've gotten over this fear for the most part, but so, so many entrepreneurs tend to shy away. It's like, oh, I really don't have that much to talk about. And I'm not that much of an expert, those kind of things. How do you get over that? And how do you get started? Well, you want to think about, I mean, if you're, if you're in any kind of business, you're providing some kind of value to some kind of person. So what's the value you're providing? And I think a lot of people, including me, everybody does this uh, at some level or another, you get, get hung up on the, well, I don't, I'm not enough of an expert. I don't know enough. I don't have the right credentials. Yeah. But you always, you know, you know more about your subject than other people. You don't have to be the be all end all expert in every single aspect there is of your, in your field. You just have to know more than other people. And there's, you know, there's, hundreds of very six thousands of very successful books on the market that aren't all that super sophisticated, but they're filling a need because they're meeting people where they they need that information. Um, so I you know, I always tell people to start with just you know listing out the things that you could write a book on. And it might be a book that's it, you know I, I the the first book I wrote was about um it was directed towards other editors on how to work with uh, self-publishing authors. And okay. it was, you know, I was getting some business as a, an editor. I hadn't even been in business as a freelance editor for that long, but I was seeing other people do really stupid things. Other editors, you know, charge <laughs> way under charge or, mm-hmm. you know, take on you know, ridiculous projects. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll edit your 100,000 word novel over the weekend and charge you $200 for it. It's crazy stuff. Um, and, and also I, I was seeing authors get really annoyed at editors who were being very unprofessional. So I wrote a small book and people buy it on a regular basis. I'm not making thousands of dollars from it, but I, you know, I have a, a small but steady stream of income from it and it's gotten some nice feedback. Um, so it's not like I could say, oh, I've, you know, I've got this degree in editing and I've been in the field for decades it was just like I, I see I see a need for this and I wrote the book and people bought it um, so don't get too hung up on, on whether or not you are an expert you're an expert to somebody um, and you might you know, consider whether or not you're writing for your clients or for your peers so in that case when I wrote my editing book I was writing for my peers I was writing for other editors um, I'm in the process now of writing a book for authors on how to work successfully with editors. So in that case, I'm writing for my clients. Um, so think in terms of, of who do you want to write for. And again, it goes back to what do you want the book to do for you. If you mm-hmm. want to build your email list, if you want to uh, get people into your marketing funnel, then you want to be writing for your clients. If you want to be making, you know, again, maybe getting 
uh, seeking engagements, if you want to be kind of becoming the authority in your field, then maybe writing a book that's aimed more at your peers would, would be a good idea. And there's, there's no right or wrong. It really just sort of depends where you want to start. And you can always write more than one book, you know, if you, if you decide, well, I've got something to say for this one group and I've got something to say for this other group, then start with the easiest one and the quickest one. Get that book under your belt and figure out the process, see that it's not so bad, and then you can move on to the next one. Right. I love that. And I think you covered something really, really kind of cool there. One thing that you said that I thought was perfect was, um, you know more about your subject than most people. You don't have to be the, you don't mm -hmm. have to be the know all be all. And I think that that's really important. That's a mm -hmm. hard one for a lot of people to wrap their head around because we do think that we're not that much of an expert. We're not the resource when reality is, if you look at your customers or your prospects, if that's who your audience is, guess what? You probably know 90% more than they do about your topic because that's your yeah. expertise and it's not theirs. And I think that that's pretty powerful to stop and just think about that. If you, it just that one, you know, I think there was a quote and I don't remember who said this, but the quote was, you know, to become an expert, you just have to know 10% than every 10% more than everybody else in the room, you know, and it really is right. that simple, honestly. Um, but on top of that, you you know the process of just sitting there listing listing out things that you could write a book on and see a need and then write the book and that really boils it down. It's like, hey, what what is the problem people have that you could talk about? It that's really how you get started, right. you know that. And the great thing about that is that that right there, going through that one exercise, could easily come up with a whole series of books by maybe ten, maybe twenty. Because again, they don't have to be 300 page books. They could be a hundred pages. You know, they don't have to be huge. Uh, but you literally just laid yeah. out the groundwork to start your book right there. Yeah. And it's, um, I, I think in the end, more people get bogged down in having too many ideas than not enough. And mm -hmm. that's when you kind of have to pull back and say, okay, what, what can I write easily and efficiently? And it's, it's very easy to get lost in a, more complicated book, and obviously there's there's a place in the world for a complicated book. Um, you know, you, but you might go through your list and you might say, okay, here's this book I really want to write, but it's going to involve interviewing people, it's going to involve um, getting people to take a survey, it's going to involve lots of research and finding statistics to back up what I'm trying to say, and that's all fine, but it's going to take longer than a book that you can just if you've already got all the knowledge in your head that's going to be an easier book to write. And it's, it's not that one is, is better to do than the other, but it's really important to know what you're getting into before you start because mm -hmm. you can think, oh, I can knock this book out in four weeks. It's going to be great. And then you realize, okay, but I've got to look for this, this, these statistics and I've got to do all this research and read these other books. And suddenly it's taking four months and mm -hmm. it's dragging on and that's when it becomes kind of a drag and so you want to have a really clear idea before you start um, as to how long it's going to take you want to set up a, a realistic timeline for yourself so that you're not either pressuring yourself too much to finish something quickly that shouldn't be finished quickly but you're not letting it drag on and on either um, and I usually suggest that if it's your first book you go for something easy it's something relatively quick pretty easy, not too much pressure on yourself, and just get it done. And then you'll say, okay, I can do this. You'll, you'll have the confidence to know you can produce a book. And you'll realize it's not that bad. It's not that hard. Mm -hmm. And then you'll be much better positioned to go and tackle the next maybe harder, more complicated book. Right. You know, and I, and I totally agree with that. It's funny how many people I know who've been working on their book for years. And, and to be honest, I even mm -hmm. have, I have a book that literally I started writing a little over three years ago and it got put on the back burner and I got busy and things happened. And then I realized that's, that's not the book I should have started with. And I've actually written the other two books since then. That one, I'll come back to it when yeah. I have a little more time. Yeah, that, that happens a lot. Yeah, I'll come back to it when <laughs> when I have more time and a little bit more focus for that specific project. But I realized that that was too much to take on right at first for the style of book that it was. And since then, I've you know my partner and I, Cindy, wrote uh, wrote the first one, and I've written the second one. 
And now I have two books that are out there that are selling and they're, they're a great marketing tool for me where I might have still been working on that other one. You know, so definitely start starting with the low hanging fruit first, the easier one, especially if it's your first book. It totally makes sense. It makes do something that's easy. Yes, low hanging fruit. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah, you you don't want to make it too hard on yourself, um, and you can you can always tackle. Like I said, you you can always write another book. You're not limited to just one. It doesn't have to be the defining book of your career. It just has to to get done, and and then you can move on to something else. Right. I love that. Very cool. So, so now that we've figured out, okay, here's the topic we're going to talk about. How, how do we come up with an outline to kind of get the plan of attack for it? What's your, what's your plan, your thoughts on it? Okay. Um, well, I am a big believer in starting with going back to seventh grade when you had to do essays, you started with a very basic outline. You had your, your first paragraph that had your thesis, and then you had three supporting paragraphs, and then you had your conclusion. Did, did, you, did you do that? Did you have the same mm-hmm. kind of that was a great teacher that I had? Um, and that's, that's really a really good place to start, only in this case, your three supporting paragraphs are more like three separate sections of your book. And your introduction is like a whole chapter in and of itself, and your conclusion is a whole chapter, and each of your, your sections maybe has two to five chapters within it. Um, but start with that really basic structure and start filling in the information that you want people to know. And I am a huge believer in spending a lot of time on the outline and not so much time on the actual writing. It's very easy to get excited about the writing. You're like, okay, I've got this great idea for this great chapter, and I'm going to write this chapter, and then write this other chapter. And then kind of lose steam because you're not really sure how to connect those chapters. You're not really sure how to fill in those blanks. But if you've got this outline that you can kind of plug away at over the course of several weeks, then when you do start the actual writing part, you you always know what comes next. You're not going to get stuck on how do I connect these these chapters and what am I going to write about next? How do I fill out the book? Because all the information is there. So what I do is, is I put my my outline either on Google Docs or Evernote, somewhere where I can access it easily. Mm-hmm. And whenever I start thinking about it, I just put, I start filling in notes. And, you know, this, this is going to go here, and this is a link to some, some research I want to quote. And, um, you know, here's, here's an interesting tidbit of information. Here's a good story about a client, that kind of thing. Um, and just, just work on that uh, over the course of however long, it takes, you know, until you feel like it's really, really, really well flushed out. And um, it's, and you could give that outline, and it should be several pages. And it shouldn't just be a one-page outline at this point. It should be a good, you know, five or even ten pages. And you should be able to give it to somebody and have them say, oh, okay, I totally get what your book is about. I know what you're trying to say. I understand where it's going. It's, it doesn't have to be complete sentences or, or nicely written or anything like that. It, but it's got all the information there that you want to convey to your reader. Um, and I also tell people, always, 100% of the time, good a good narrative, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, always trumps good writing. So don't get hung up in the writing. You can always hire a copy editor to smooth out your writing and make it sound pretty and fix your grammar. A good story, whether it's a literal beginning, middle, active, end story, or if it's a, you know, just information stories that's going to be engaging to people, mm-hmm. that's what people want. It doesn't have to be fancy writing. So don't, don't get hung up in the prose of your book. Really, really work on the, the meat and the information that you want to convey. Right. I love that. And that is something that's really important too, is people, people forget that the reason, you know, a lot of times uh, we're looking for, we're, we're looking for some entertainment value, not just the facts. And I am, I'm very guilty of this myself. Uh, in my writing, I tend to tell stories, but not even as much as I probably should because I, I'm like, okay, step one, do this, step two, do this kind of things. That's my analytical side coming out. I'm more of a trainer, teacher, how-to guy in my teaching side of my expertise but then, you know, when I'm talking, I tend to do more stories. And it's so funny because I have to stop and remind myself, no, I need to make this more personal. 
And I think that that's what really grabs people's attention. I'm thinking about different stories. You know, there's a book that I'm reading right now. I'm actually reading uh, a book by James Altucher. And he tells, I mean, he's a funny guy. So reading what he has to say, if he just wrote it as do this, do this, do this, it'd be probably the most boring book out there. But he tells his stories and his personalities in there, and I can hear his voice when he's talking and or when I'm reading it, and it's just it makes me laugh because some of the things that he says, and that keeps it entertaining. Oh, I love I love James Altucher. Yeah, he has some yeah. pretty cool stuff, yeah. and it's and it's not complex either. It's very simple. Yeah, but he's he he does have a very definite style, and um, yeah, he's got these great stories that he he kind of pulls in, and and his prose is not polished. I mean, I read some of his essays sometimes, and I'm like, oh, where was the copy editor? Um, <laughs> but it doesn't really matter. Like he, he 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 could hire a copy editor if he wanted to, or a proofreader, but he he, he knows he doesn't really need to because mm-hmm. it's the story and the energy that he's conveying that's what is important. Um, it's not that his prose is so perfect and polished and PhD in English literature type. It's, it's just him. It's his personality. So mm-hmm. don't be afraid to let that through. And humor is great. And uh, passion is great. It doesn't have to be, even if it's a business book, it, it shouldn't be completely dry and businesslike. It's, it's there to represent you and your business. And one of the reasons people want to work with your business is because of you. You know, they, they mm-hmm. want to see what they're getting. Right. Um, and if, if you have a personality to share, then share it. Right. That is awesome. Now, something else you ju- you said when you were talking about creating the outline that I think is really important is people are worried about, you know, how should I write my book? And, and they, they'll get stuck up on technology, which I, I know happens a lot. Um, a lot of my clients, a lot of people that I work with, their biggest downfall is worrying about having the right technology as opposed to just writing the book, you know, and you just said, you know, you could use Google, Google Docs or Evernote. Both are amazing programs and they're both free. You know, I'm just to let everybody know both books that we had were actually written using Google Docs. We wrote every chapter was a single document and it was great because it was a way for us to collaborate. We had, my daughter was actually our editor because she's really good at that. And she's wonderful at telling me what I've done wrong. You know, that's what, as any good daughter Mm -hmm. would do. And you know, and it wasn't, it's not anything complicated. You know, I actually have Scrivener. I don't know if you've ever used it before. I started playing with it. Uh, oh, I but love I, Scrivener. What was that? I, I have Scrivener and I love it. It's, it's a great tool. Very cool. I haven't, you but know, funny I, things. I do think that for the... It's a, it's a great program, <laughs> but I haven't had a chance to really dig into it yet. So I'm still kind of defaulting it's, back to it's Google It's pretty Docs. powerful. Yeah, I'm, I'm still learning it as well. And I, I, I've, signed up for all these courses on Scrivener and how to really, really get into it. And it, mm-hmm. you can do a lot with it. Right now, I've, I've, I've really just used it to, you know, like a, a more sophisticated Word word document. Uh, mm-hmm. But it can do much, much more than that. Right. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't uh, even use Scrivener for the outline. I mean, for the outline, Google, I like Google Docs and Evernote because they're just accessible. I can kind of grab, you know, if I, if I have a thought, I can, I can get in there regardless of pretty much where I am or if I'm I've got my phone and I've got my laptop wherever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, honestly, if you wanted to just use a, a spiral bound notebook, that's fine too. Um, right. Somehow the, the human race got through writing books for hundreds of years without uh, technology. <laughs> so um, yeah, don't, don't let that hold you back. You certainly don't need Scrivener. You don't need anything fancy. Um, just, just start where you are, whatever, and, and make your life easy. You know, mm. whatever, whatever is going to make life easy for you do that. It doesn't have to be complicated. You don't have to learn a whole new program. Just whatever information you've got already that's going to help you out, use that. Right. And that's, and that's really the, that's the most important thing is to just, you know, wherever you are, just use what you're comfortable with. If Microsoft Word is what you got and that's what you're comfortable with, then use that. It doesn't really matter because the cool thing about it is all of these different programs we're talking about can import and export whatever into whatever your editor is going to want, uh, which leads me to my next question. Uh, so let's say I've written my book and I need to, fi- I need to find an editor to actually get them to you know, make it pretty because, you know, I'm not the best writer out there. What's, you know, what's the best <laughs> okay, way to uh, find somebody? Topic. Yeah. How do we, how do we find a um, good editor and how do we, how do we understand how to work with them too? Because that's a whole different creature that we're not used to. 
Well, the first thing to do is decide what kind of editor you really need because people use the term editor very loosely and it, it breaks down more or less into three basic sections. You can look for a developmental editor who's somebody who's going to help you structure the book. If, if you're talking about nonfiction, they're going to help you kind of decide what goes where, what comes first, uh, what information needs to be fleshed out, what needs more examples, um, you know, what, what can you assume your audience already knows and what do they not know that you have to tell them. So the developmental editor looks at the big picture. And if that's the kind of help you need, that's the kind of editor you want to look for. Uh, a copy editor helps you more with the prose of everything. They'll kind of, uh, if you ask them to, they will do fact-checking. So they'll, they'll check all your statistics and your dates and make sure everything actually says what you wanted to say. They'll make sure that you're consistent, that you're using consistent names, consistent spelling throughout. Uh, and they'll fix up your sentences so that they read nicely and you're not repeating yourself too much or at all, that they're that the sentences flow from, from one sentence to another, that the paragraphs kind of flow neatly from one to the other. Uh, so they, they do sort of the, the tidying up there. And then at the very end, uh, you get a, you have a proofreader. And the proofreader just goes through ideally the very, very last draft of your manuscript and looks for, uh, formatting, spelling, punctuation errors. If they catch anything bigger than that, they, they should tell you, but really their job is to just clean it up and make sure that nobody's going to get on your back about a misspelled word or um, a, mis, you know, a misplaced comma, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So each of those is valuable. In, a, in an ideal world, you know, with a traditionally published book, you would have um, each of those editors go through your draft at least once, probably more than once. Uh, so you have a whole bunch of different stages. And most Self-publishing authors don't want to put that kind of money into their book, which is totally understandable, and it also takes a lot of time. So it's up to you to decide where your time and money is best spent. You know, do you, are you going to get more value from a developmental editor, from a copy editor, from a proofreader? Most copy editors can be relied on to um, do most of the proofing as well. If you get a good copy editor, you can kind of straddle both those worlds a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you, if you, if you take your copy edited draft and then make a whole bunch of new changes, uh, it's, it's a really good idea to, to run it past a proofreader before you send it off to publication because you've probably introduced new errors. You know, again, small things, probably spelling, punctuation. But those are the kind of things that, that people look for and that will pop up in reviews and um, get noticed, especially in the self-publishing world. I think a lot of reviewers are very, they've, they've seen a lot of really sloppy self-published books, and now people kind of look for, for the sloppiness in self-published books. Mm-hmm. And it's not really fair because there are mistakes in professionally published books too um, that don't get picked on as much, but you don't want to give people a reason to focus on your spelling mistakes when they really should be looking at the content of the book. Right. So, well, and that's, and that's something that is really important to kind of think about is people, you know, I've seen it. Um, I'll look at reviews of other books and everything, and I'll see reviews where people are like, the, the grammar in this was horrible, or it's riddled with spelling errors and things like mm-hmm. that. And that's going to hurt you. And, and some, one person's definition of riddled with spelling errors could be two, two misspelt words in the entire book, you know, so you yeah. got to be careful about those. And that's why I think it's, especially with the self-publishing world, we are getting much, they're, people are getting much more picky and they're expecting more. And so, you know, having somebody at least with the copy editor and the, the proofreader side to go through and, and mm-hmm. just double check it. And again, even if you hire a, somebody to do this, it's not a bad idea to have somebody else, you know, even a friend go back and read it again, just as a second pair of eyes, just in case. Yeah, the, the more the more passes you can put it through, the better, because you will always find somebody who, you know, someone will always find something new, and it may not even be a mistake, but you know, there might be some confusion, or there might be, and there's, you know, there's there's not always a definitive answer. You mm-hmm. can put a comma in two different places and still have it be correct, or or not put it in. Right. But, um, and and you won't please all your reviewers either. But you just want to clear up as much of that as possible. Keep it, you know, get it as clean and presentable as you possibly can before you put it on the market. Because yeah, like you said, people do like to pick on stuff like that. 
uh, and that's not where you want people's attention. Right. So if somebody's just starting out and, you know, we're, you know, we're in that solopreneur world, we're pretty tight on budget. We're just, we know this is going to be very powerful, but we're not sure where to start. What, you know, kind of a guesstimate, what can we get, expect to pay or, and how can we find somebody who's a good, a good copy editor that'll help us out or a developmental editor as well, because sometimes that is something we really need. Um, well, there's a bunch of different ways. Um, there is a, an association called the Editorial Freelancers Association, which has, um, if you go to their website, they have uh, a way that you can post a job, and chances are you will get lots and lots of responses. Uh, they do have uh, payment standards that you're expected to adhere to. I know that not everybody does. I've, I've certainly seen people post jobs that I think will, you know, they're, they're, they're going to end up paying people less than the, the EFA standards mm-hmm. say they should. Um, the EFA standards are, are, I don't want to say they're high because they're not making anybody rich, um, but you can certainly find people willing to work for less and still do a good job. And a lot of the EFA people are, you know, they're professionals. They've been doing it for decades. They, they work for, for publishing companies. They work for um, trade journals, that kind of thing. So they, you know, they, they can often command uh, reasonably high wages um, but it's a good place to start because there's also a lot of people there who are brand new to, to editing or who haven't gotten a, a big freelance client base yet and who are willing to work for maybe a little bit less. Um, I, when I do editing, I charge by the word most of the time, not all the time, but most okay. of the time because it's just easy to figure out. Mm-hmm. So typically, I mean, developmental editing, huge range. I mean, there can be, it could be a few hundred dollars. It could be several thousand dollars. Depends on the length of the manuscript. Depends on the complexity. Depends on the subject matter. If you if you're looking for a developmental editor, really go for somebody who understands your genre and gets your audience. So, right. um, now if you're writing fiction, you don't want a developmental editor who specializes in mystery novels to be editing your romance novel because they're completely different genres and they have different reader expectations. And the same thing, if you, you know, you want somebody who's got at least some experience in the nonfiction right. world. If you're very, you know, if you're, a, if you're a business coach, then you, you want somebody who's kind of business oriented. If you're writing something on new age spirituality, you want somebody who's kind of familiar with that world. Um, so just look for somebody who kind of gets, gets where you're going with the book and ideally has some experience in that genre, whatever it is. Well, and a developmental um, coach is kind of kind of like a or a developmental editor. It's kind of like a book coach, right? Isn't that kind of because I know that that's one of the things you do is in that area as a book yeah. coach, of helping somebody. Wouldn't that be kind of the same thing? Kind of the same basic basic idea. It, there's there's definitely some overlap. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. When I'm when I'm book coaching, and you know, people people need a book coach at different different levels. So mm-hmm. maybe I'm helping them just kind of get the writing done as opposed to dealing with it after it's done. Um, but the, the editing is, is taking the manuscript once it's finished, at least in the first draft stage and working with the author to, to polish it up and make it make sense and make it, uh, meet the audience expectations for it. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a lot of overlap there. Okay. Um, and yeah, so if you wanted to find so the uh, Editorial Freelancers Association, good place to look. Uh, you can certainly check places like um, Elance and Guru.com, and uh, Elance is not Upwork, I guess. They've um, consolidated a couple of different freelancer sites. So freelancer site jobs, you know, jobs like that, be very clear about what you're looking for, what you're willing to pay. Um, again, like I said, for developmental editing, huge range, um, depending on a lot of different factors. I think you just have to decide what you're comfortable to pay, what's mm-hmm. comfortable with paying and um, letting people know that up front. And for copy editing, I would say anywhere between half a cent per word and two cents a word um, is, is about what you're going to expect to pay. So if you have a 50,000-word manuscript, that's going to be anywhere between $250 to about $1,000. And again, depends on the complexity of the subject. Uh, I tend to charge a little bit more for authors who are not native English speakers because there's usually a lot more tidying up of the English that goes mm-hmm. into that. Um, you know, they're often very good books, but the English 
takes a lot more time to, to deal with and right. pretty. That makes sense. Um, so, yeah, so there's, you know, there's, there's a wide range there, but that's pretty much what you can expect to pay. Um, almost as important as the amount of money is the amount of time that it's, it's going to take. You want to find out how many passes um, somebody's willing to do. Like if you go back and, and incorporate their suggestions and send it back to them, are they going to, is that included in the original price? If it is, it's probably going to be a fairly high price to start with. Are they going to charge you uh, extra but not as much as they would to do it the first time, that kind of thing? Uh, can you get back to them with questions? Um, if if you do, will that cost extra? You want to kind of work that out ahead of time. Okay. Um, and most of the most of the clients I work with tend not to have questions for, for at the copy edit stage um, or the proofread stage. It's usually fairly straightforward. And every so often, someone will get back to me and say, "Well, you know, if I did it this way, would it make sense if I use this word instead?" Um, and I don't I don't charge extra for minor questions like that. But if somebody wanted to sit down with me for an hour, say, and um, go over parts of the manuscript, then I would probably charge them for the time. Right. Okay. Um, and so, and you know, copy, proofreading is probably a little bit less in most cases than copy editing. So uh, I've seen proofreaders go for as little as one third a cent. I think that's crazy, but <laughs> I would say that probably going to start at about half a cent per word and about one cent, one and a half cents per word. Um, I have seen proofreaders uh, and, and copy editors offer to do um, crazy rush jobs. I was I saw some guy's site the other day and he was saying, "Oh, I'll you know I'll do books up to eighty thousand words, which is pretty much it's, it's a decent sized full length novel type book, um, and I'll get it back to you in forty eight hours, which is nuts. Wow. You don't want anybody going that fast on your book because they're not going to do a good job and mm-hmm. they're way undercharging and crazy stuff. So you know, really, it's it, Take into consideration whether they're going to put in a decent amount of time, um, if they've got good recommendations, uh, unless you have a really good reason for wanting something back in a hurry, let them take their time with it. It doesn't have to go on for weeks and weeks and weeks. It shouldn't. But, you know, give them, give them a couple of weeks at least. Because um, it's, when, you know, when I'm editing, especially when I'm developmental editing, I like to read the whole thing through a few times and then kind of start making notes and um, making suggestions and looking things up. Um, if I'm copy editing and proofreading, I get dizzy. I, I can do it for a couple of hours and then I'm like, I'm done. I can't focus anymore. Right. Uh, you really, you, you don't want people spending eight hours a day doing nothing but proofreading your manuscript because they're just not going to do a good job after a few hours. Right. Well, and that's, and that's really important to kind of think about too, is making sure you have that time because you know, a lot of times as entrepreneurs, we live in this rush, 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 I want it yesterday world. And that's just not, right. <laughs> it's not good in any aspect, but there are certain jobs that could be pushed faster. But I would say that this would be something that really can't. I mean, I know people who can who yeah. can speed read and people who can skim things. And there's times where I can get away with, with reading faster. And like, you know, my daughter is amazing at reading, reading super, super fast. But I guarantee if she's reading that fast, she's not mm-hmm. going to catch near as many of those kind of things and yeah so yeah you, you just got to give them a good give proofreader them is moving pretty slowly yeah that makes that makes perfect sense so always keep in mind you've got to give your proofreaders extra time because they actually have to read the book <laughs> yeah and that's going to take some yeah. time no matter yeah. what there's just no no way around that very cool well this has been some yeah. awesome um, stuff i uh, you shared so, so much great information, and I want to thank you so much with, for that. Um, now, a couple of things as we're starting to wrap up here. If you know, I always like to ask this question. If there's one action step that people can get out and do right away, what would you suggest? Um, I would say start writing down the topics that you could write a book on. Um, just start with that list. And it, it doesn't have to be anything set in stone. It doesn't have to be anything that you share with anybody else. Just anything that you could write a book on or that you would really like to write a book on. And just sort of study that list and see what's going to be, um, what's the low-hanging fruit, what's not going to be too difficult, uh, what could be, what would be the most fun, uh, what is going to meet my goals as a business person in terms of reaching the right audience and impressing the right people, um, and what can I 
make happen relatively quickly because it's, like I said, for the first book, you really don't want to drag it on too much. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a really nice feeling to just get it out there and get it in the world and see it working for you. And then you can always tackle the more complicated subject matter later. But just start with, start with writing out all your ideas. And all even right. if they're a little bit off the wall, a little bit crazy, just see what, what that brings you. Mm-hmm. Awesome. I love it. Very cool. So I know you had, you had a, a, a givey that you wanted to give away to everybody. You want to tell us a little bit about that? Okay. Um, I have a self-publishing checklist. You can get it on my website. And it's just, it's a very simple um, list of steps that you can go to go through to get your manuscript onto Amazon and into CreateSpace. And it's, it goes through, you know, do you need to, at what point in the process do you need to hire an editor and a book cover designer? Um, do you need to buy an ISBN number or not? Most of the time you don't. Um, and uh, when should you start looking for reviewers? How do you keep track of reviewers? Um, just that sort of thing. So it's it's very basic, very straightforward. Because uh, I, I have talked to, in just in the last six weeks, I've talked to three different authors who have books on their full, finished, completed books on their laptops. They've been sitting there for months, or in one case, a couple of years, and they're just like, oh, I've got to learn all this stuff about self-publishing. I don't know where to start. <laughs> but this is where you start. <laughs> it's just it's all laid out. It's very straightforward, and I hope it'll be really helpful. Awesome. Very, very cool. So we have the link for that. The link for that is drivingyourmarketing.com slash self-publish. And I will be sure to post it on the show notes for this episode as well. Um, again, drivingyourmarketing.com slash self-publish. And, you know, Sarah, this has been so much great information. I It amazes me how much the book publishing world has changed just in the last 10 years. And, you know, I know people who are in the professional side of things that are traditional publishers and, and authors who've been in the traditional marketing side of things for so long that how the world has changed so much. And this is really powerful stuff. This is, you broke it down very easy. I really appreciate that. I know everybody's going to get a ton of value with it. Um, how else can people get a hold of you as well as your, the freebie that you just talked about? Um, well, you can visit my uh, website, which is www.aeroplanemedia.com. Aeroplane spelled A-E-R-O, the old-fashioned way. Um, and that is really the best place to find me. I've got a Facebook page um, as well, also Aeroplane Media, so you can probably find me there. Um, and I love to hear from people. So um, email me, Facebook me, whatever you want to do. Um, I'm here and happy to answer questions, and I'm, I'm always happy to geek out about writing and publishing. Awesome. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Sarah. Um, as I always like to say, you know, if there's anything I can do, reach out, let me know. I definitely want to be here for you. And for everybody listening, thank you so much for joining us. If you got a lot of value out of this, I would love it if you would go to iTunes and leave a quick little review. Just let us know what you thought of Sarah's content and, you know, how do you, what are you going to take out action on? I always love to see those kind of things. Those are so much fun. As always, there's anything that I can help you out in any way, shape, or form, reach out, let me know, and we'll see you on the next episode. Take care. Hey there, this is Eli again, and I got a question for you. Do you have a roadmap for marketing your business? If you're consistently looking for new marketing ideas just to keep your business going, then you need to check out smallbusinessmarketingroadmap.com and download the free special report that I created to help you create a marketing plan that will thrive in any economy. Again, that's smallbusinessmarketingroadmap.com. Go get it, read it, and start the road trip of your lifetime. See you on the other side.